Welcome to Winning is Not Everything, where we bring sanity back to youth sports by focusing on character development, effort, and sportsmanship, not rankings and trophies. I'm your host, Sean Jensen, former NFL reporter, children's book author, and youth sports coach. Today, we've got part two of our conversation with University of St. Thomas men's basketball coach, John Tower, who shares about some of the challenges he faced in his sports journey, the advice he got from a respected coach, and the non-negotiables to join his program. Let's get to Though he excelled on the court, John Tower also excelled off the court. He was fascinated by psychology, the science of mind and behavior. So much, in fact, he earned a master's and PhD in social psychology from the University of Wisconsin. He's thankful for his childhood, but he recalled wrestling with the challenges of balancing his passion for multiple sports, his academics, and other expectations that for him often had him feeling like he didn't fit in. Then, over time, the obstacles and setbacks became learning lessons in some of the most important defining moments of his life. Not only through trial and error, but through research and years of serving under a legendary coach, Tower has crafted clear expectations of the type of players he recruits to his program. We're going to dive into those, but here's a teaser. Talent is the least important of the five traits that John Tower values most. Let's get to it. Hey, John, what's something that you appreciated about your parents' influence on your athletic journey? Yeah, my parents are awesome. John and Michelle, they're both 79 years old. They grew up in, in St. Paul, and they're, they're just humble, really loving, down-to-earth people. And I think the, the biggest thing, and it impacted not just my career as a coach, but I think a lot of the work I've done in psychology is their unequivocal support throughout my athletic journey, that I remember games that I was awful in. And the hugs they would give me after the game wouldn't be any different than after we won a championship. That it was it was really about support and love. And if this is what you want to spend your time doing, they were always going to be there and be behind us. There was not this push to become a college athlete or get a scholarship or do something that they could live vicariously. So I think it really it it really boiled down to just that support and knowing that no matter how I played, they were there and they and they still do that for their grandkids today. I mean, they almost uh, before COVID, yeah, I think they probably attended more of more of my boys games than I did um, just because of schedules permitting and their that support, I think. You know, you always talk about unconditional love as a psychologist that that support and knowing that's there win or lose, play well or poorly, I think that was something that at the time I didn't recognize, but the older I've gotten, the more I've been grateful for it. That's beautiful. That's good parenting right there. What's something you wrestled or struggled with in middle or high school? Yeah, I think those, uh, you know, there's a lot written on adolescence and I think everybody, that's a challenging time because you're trying to find your way. And we talk with that with our players all the time, my sons, I know, if you kind of get to 22, 24, 26, and you're sort of settled and know who you are, that desire to fit in becomes a little less important. And I, so I think, you know, probably that figuring out how to fit in when I wasn't going to go to parties like some other kids were, but how could I make friendships that way? I wasn't a star athlete as a freshman or sophomore, so you're not getting accolades that way. I didn't just want to study all the time and get all A's. Yeah, I wanted to get those, but I didn't want that to be the bulk of my life. And so I think 
trying to figure out a balance of how can I have friends and be a good student and work hard in athletics, but be consistent with the values that I'm raised in. So I, I don't know if it was any one thing as much as just at that point in life, it can really seem sort of like, you know, this whirlwind of I can't do all those things at any one time. And so which ones do I need to focus on on a daily basis? And well, I don't think there is a perfect way to do it, right? I think it's, I've always looked at it like a skinned knee for a kid, a bruise, that's okay. You don't want serious injuries. And I think that's the same way navigating that social network in middle and high school and even college is you're going to make some mistakes along the way. And as long as those mistakes aren't things that you can't come back from, those can be incredible learning lessons. If you never make mistakes, that's probably not a great way to go through life either. John, your journey to become an elite basketball coach is pretty remarkable. How does your experience shape your approach to coaching your players? Well, you know, I, I, I mentioned Coach Horizon, Coach Denning, Coach Fritz was my coach, longtime coach at St. Thomas, and there were so many other people who I think impacted me. I think one of the things I've always tried to do is take things from different people and incorporate those into my coaching philosophy without saying, I want to be just like that person. And some of that, you know, the advice, I remember when Coach Fritz, when I was in my first year coaching with him, the two pieces of advice he gave me early that were really straightforward and simple, but incredibly important, you know, number one, you got to be yourself. And number two, you're not going to keep everybody happy. There are going to be people who are unhappy with you in coaching, right? Even if you win a championship, you're going to have players who didn't play as much as they would have liked or their parents aren't thrilled. And so I think those two things, to me, when I remember those, And then it's easy to sort of pull from other coaches and say, I love the way they run offense. I love their culture of communication. I love the way that their program seems to have a certain unselfishness and toughness to it. And so I think that's been my kind of eclectic approach of stealing from everybody and try, but, but trying to do that in a way that then is true to myself. Like I know as a coach, I love guys who have a lot of energy. They're happy to be here. They want to share the ball. They're tough, skilled, smart, and they put the team above themselves. And I struggle to coach guys who don't buy into that. And part of that was probably because I was never really the best player on any team I was on, but I was also pretty decent. And so understanding roles that you talked about earlier and saying as a coach, I, I look at it more as a horizontal organization where we all have roles as the head coach. I've got a role it may be more visible than some others, but it doesn't necessarily mean it's any more important because at the end of the day, when we've got to get a defensive stop, I'm not the one out there. Our assistant coaches aren't the ones out there. It's collectively, have we prepared for this moment? And so I, I think that combined then with my grad school education on intrinsic motivation. Uh, from a young age, I was just fascinated by the athletes who seem to you know, pour their hearts and souls into things. And then other really prodigious athletes who frankly weren't as passionate. And so I think that's the other part of my coaching. Some of it's been impacted by the coaches that I've had played for and studied under. But then another part is, you know, the grad school work I did at Wisconsin with Judy Herakevich, the understanding of intrinsic motivation. And it doesn't mean it's a magic wand, but it does mean it's something that I think you'd find is pervasive in our culture, that the people in our culture, number one, that's who we try to recruit. And number two, the people who are going to flourish in that culture are the people who say, this is what I want to do. Because at the end of the day, life's short. If you want to be on our basketball team, that's okay. But let's not kid ourselves then. Because the guys who are in the gym with us, 
I want to make sure that all 20 of us, 15 players, five coaches, there's no place we'd rather be. Coach, what are maybe two key characteristics you will not compromise on any student athlete that you recruit to your program? Yeah, we, we talk a lot about non-negotiables, and I think that the two easiest answers, and, and there's gray area, right? Things are not black and white, but it's character and academics. You know, and I always say, listen, I don't want to go to bed on Saturday night wondering what I might read about you in the newspaper on Sunday, and I don't want to go to bed on Tuesday night wondering if you're studying for your physics exam on Wednesday. And so those are two things that I don't sleep easily if I'm there's enough to worry about on a team and all the things that we manage. If I have to worry about is a guy getting in trouble or is he going to class? Now, that doesn't mean you have to be a Nobel Peace Prize winner. It doesn't mean you have to be a a Pulitzer Prize writer. It means that you have to be a good person who wants to get better. And you've got to be a good student who's open to getting better and working hard. And if you're open to that, you may go to a class and get a B minus or a C plus occasionally, but you're going to work through it the same way we're talking about doing that in sports. And so I think those are the two first things that you always, before we even address talent, those two we talk about. And then we talk about is a guy intrinsically motivated and is he a selfless teammate? Because you can be intrinsically motivated and not be a great teammate, right? You may just love the sport and, and look at it more as an individualistic pursuit, which is easier to do in an individual sport. But so those two non-negotiables, character and academics, and then intrinsic motivation and selfless teammates. And then, then we talk about talent. Talent matters. But quite honestly, that's, that's usually the fifth thing we get to when we're evaluating players. Hey coach, what's that transition been like to becoming a Division One basketball program? Yeah, we're. I mean, it's really exciting. You know, the, the rarely in life do you get to do things that truly others haven't, right? And there are 354 Division One programs, and several of them have come from Division Two to Division One. None of them have gone from Division Three to Division One. And so, it is re- when you step back and look at it. I can talk to coaches who coach D three and then coach D one really successfully, and there are a lot of those guys, or a handful of those guys, and there's a lot of Division Two programs who've done it. But none of those have happened simultaneously where a Division Three program has jumped to Division One. So I, you know, next year will be our first year playing in Division One. But right now we're working a lot on recruiting and scheduling. And I think there are certain things that are going to change. On the other hand, you talked about non-negotiables. There are a lot of things that aren't going to change, right? Who I am isn't going to change. I'm not going to suddenly fall in love with players who are really skilled, but they're selfish and they don't work hard. I mean, I just, that won't work. And so I think we're going into this with an understanding. It's going to be a long journey. It's not going to be something that, you know, in one year, I mean, there's teams we're playing against that are incredibly well coached and talented. But I think what we're most excited about is can we do what we've done at St. Thomas's Division Three school? I'd say without compromising, but even enhancing our institutional profile, our academics, what our president, Julie Sullivan, what our athletic director, Phil Eston, what their vision is for this, I think is really captivating because it's saying we think Division One athletics can actually enhance the university. It doesn't have to be this either or proposition. It really is. We're going to continue recruiting outstanding student athletes. 
Now, they're probably going to be bigger and stronger and faster over a period of time. But what I think is also exciting is there are several of our guys in the program right now who will make that transition with us and trying to carry over our current culture. And we've had a lot of success. We've won a couple national titles. We've won 14 of the last 15 Mayak regular season titles. We are really proud of that success. We know that doesn't get us anything in Division One. It doesn't get us anything this season. But I do think our culture and what our players believe in and our coaches believe in, I do think those values translate. I don't care what level you're at because if you're coaching a middle school team, you better have tough, skilled, smart players if you want to go far. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of Winning Is Not Everything. Please make sure to like the podcast and subscribe to the podcast so that you can stay up to date on the latest episode. Also, would you please go to my website and visit the contact page. I want to hear from you, so leave me a voice recording and tell me your first name, your age, where you're from, and who your favorite coach is and why. Some of your responses could be aired on a future episode of Winning Is Not Everything, and I'll randomly pick a few of you to receive a free signed and personal personalized copy of one of my middle school rules books or a free gratitude training session from model student athlete. Winning is not everything, but the three H's to be a real hero in life are hustle, humility, and heart. I'm your host, Sean Jensen, and we'll see you next time.